This is Black Girls Love True Crime, a true crime podcast told from the perspective of a Black girl. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Black Girls Love True Crime. I hope everyone has been doing well since the, I guess since the, in the past week or the past day or whenever last you listened to the previous episode, um, I'm happy to be recording another episode. And since the last episode, um, it, I'm really happy uh, to say that it seems I have gotten some audience. Uh, I know to most people who listen to podcasts or do podcasts, my audience might be nothing at all. But to me, it's very exciting. I see that I have maybe like five or six people actually listening to um, my words. And I feel very honored and I feel very excited about it. Um, because these are the people who, when this podcast blows and it becomes big, you guys will be my day one. You guys will be the people that I'm like, you remember when we were this name? You remember when we started this way? You remember when we started this way? And you guys will be able to relate to that. So I appreciate everyone that is under the sound of my voice. Um, and so in light of that, I would like to do some housekeeping because now I find that, that people are actually listening to me. So like I said, first of all, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I guess to try to streamline things a little bit, one thing that I do want to say is number to give you guys some consistency um, or maybe more importantly for you to know when I'm going to be uploading episodes um, or publishing episodes. Uh, so my plan is to be publishing episodes twice a week. Um, once on Saturday and once on Wednesdays. That's the plan. So be on the lookout for wherever you listen to your podcast for a podcast from for a podcast episode from Black Girls Love True Crime. Um, another thing that is very important for me to share that I don't know that I have is to number one make sure that people understand the fact that like I am so open. I'm so open for engagement. So I really want to hear you guys' thoughts. I want to hear what you guys think about you know, the way that the podcast is, um, you know, how I give the, how I share the stories. If you have any suggestions for stories I should tell or ways I should tell the story or things to focus on, I'd appreciate feedback from anyone who is listening. And so to do that, I want to give my email address. So the email that I would like you to send, um, emails to would be stories by t at protonmail.com once again it's stories by t at protonmail.com and all of this information would be in the show notes and you can find that on any platform that you listen to your podcast so thank you once again for listening and welcome to another episode and oh my i don't think i said well I don't think I explicitly said, but for those of you who are new or those who are listening to my podcast for the first time, or for those of you who don't remember, this is your host. My name is T. So welcome to another episode. So today we are still in South Africa, um, like we were last time. South Africa has a lot of of, of true crime um, content, man. They have a lot of stuff that have gone down, serial killers. There's just so much. And so we're still in South Africa today. We are talking about the ABC killer today, the ABC killer or um, the kid, the person who committed the ABC murders. That's what we're talking about. And so he also went by other names. He was also called the South African Strangler. He was also called the Guateng Killer. Um, so who is this person? 
Um, his name was, or his name is, because he's still alive, is Moses Stithole. Um, so we'll give a little bit of background about him, like I do, um, a little bit of background, and then talk a little bit about, just a little bit about his early life, talk about the killing, talk a bit about the trial, um, capture, and then also the trial and his imprisonment. And that's how we cover the stories. Um, so Moses Stichol was born on November 17th, um, 1964. Uh, and he, he, he ended up becoming the South African serial killer and rapist who committed the ABC murders. Um, and it was called the ABC murders because they began in Adderidgeville, they continued in Booksburg and they finished in Cleveland, which is a suburb of Johannesburg. And over the course of the of the time that these killings were happening, um, from 16th of July, 1994 to 6th of November, 1997, Sithole murdered at least 38 people, which is insane. This was over a span of a little over a year, a year and a few months, and he, oh, he, he murdered um at least 38 people. Um, I think 38 people were confirmed, but there were possibly 76 people, which is insane. Um, so a little bit about his early life. Moses Siho was born on the 17th, like I said, of November 1964 in Vuslurus, a township near Buxburg, um, the Transvaal province, uh, which is now known as Guateng. When he was five years old, his father died, um, and then his mother abandoned the family. And so as a result of that, Sidho and his siblings spent the next three years in an orphanage, where he later said um, they were mistreated. By his own account, Sidho was arrested for rape and then um, in his teen years, and then because of that, spent seven years in prison. He ended up blaming his imprisonment for the reason that he ended up turning into a murderer. Um, he explained his crimes by saying that the women that he murdered um, reminded him of the women who had falsely accused him of rape in the years before, um, which, you know, it's interesting, right? Whenever people commit murders like this, you know, there's always a reason. I, I get it, you know, there's a reason. Like people, I think, you know, we can talk about the psychology of it, but I think people maybe sometimes have a propensity or, you know, maybe there's something that would make them, you know, go in the in the route of committing murders and it can be whatever genetic predisposition that they have. Um, and then something happens in their childhood or something happened that then veers them in that route. Whereas maybe if that thing didn't happen, it, they wouldn't have become a murderer. But, you know, when I say all of these things, it's not in an attempt to like humanize, humanize any of these serial killers. It's just to give some some context and to give history. Um, and But even when I hear those saying, when serial killers say, oh, you know, this happened to me as a child, it's always like, all right, there are people who go to orphans and they don't end up raping women and killing them. Um, you know, like they just don't. Um, but in any case, that was his story. So let's talk about the murders a little bit. So Sito appeared to be a mild-mannered person to those that were around him. And the, at the time that these crimes were committed, he apparently was managing a shell organization is what it was called. And for those of us who don't know what a shell organization is, a shell organization essentially is 
is a fake organization, right? It's it's a company or a corporation that exists only on paper and it has no offices and it has no employees. Um, and so people think like you think you're supporting a good cause, but but you're really not. Um, and so he was managing a shell organization, quote unquote, um, that was called um, Youth Against Human Abuse. And it was apparently, um, or at least falsely, devoted to the eradication of child abuse. That's what he said he was doing, right? And so the way that he would gain access to these victims is by pre- pretending to be a businessman and then offering them work, going as far as, you know, inventing this fake charity organization. And then once he would gain their trust, he would then offer to walk them to um, a field, um, which is which he said was like the business headquarters. And then when they were out of sight and they were out of hearing range, he would then overpower them. He would rape them and then he would strangle them. And this is how he claimed over 30 victims. And so Let's talk a little bit about the profile of the type of victims that he went to. So he targeted Black women between the ages of 18 to 45. Um, Most of them, like I said, were victims that were being interviewed for positions that he had. And so he would take them um, to a field and and murder them. And um, he generally strangled these women with their own underwear. Um, this was really sad. I read that he once inflicted a head wound on a two-year-old of one of the victims and left him to die from exposure. Um, it's so sad reading this. I mean, it's it's really unbelievable. Um, so let's talk a little bit about his capture. So <clears throat> in, um, I think he was captured, like I said. So so anyway, no, actually, before we even talk about his capture, let's talk about, I think, a little bit about the, I guess, atmosphere of South Africa at this point that this was happening. So South African authorities virtually at this point were like overrun by serial killers at this point. This was the wake of apartheid. Um, the apartheid's collapse. And so there were just people, you know, just doing all types of craziness. And so they had consulted ex-FBI agent Robert Ressler in their search for the what they had coined the ABC killer. And so working in conject, conjunction with uh, Dr. Um, Mickey Pistorius, Ressler conduct, concluded that the murders in all of these three communities, because they had been seeing trends of murders, right, in all of these A and B and C communities. And um, so he ended up, concluding that these communities, that the murders were linked. Um, It was so concerning for everyone and for everyone, like even President Nelson Mandela was so concerned and concerned enough that he um, had to cancel a scheduled trip um, abroad and he appeared um, in Booksburg with um, high-ranking justice officials where he appealed for public's help in tracking this strangler, this killer. And police didn't get their break until early October 1995, um, when a Cape Town uh, newspaper, The Star, received an anonymous telephone call from the slayer himself, right? So he identified himself as a man that had been so highly wanted and the one that everyone was looking for. This is the thing about these serial killers, right? A lot of like this is this is the ish that I always hear a lot because they want attention so much they end up walking into their own trap. You know what I mean? Like, why do you have to call 
the newspaper. Do you know, I mean, it's great that he did, obviously, but he's doing it because he he's trying to taunt people. And that's one of the things that I even read, that this guy, not only would he kill victims, he would call the victims' families and taunt them um, about killing, you know, about the killings he had done. So he got a, um, what was it? He got a high off of doing these type of things. And so in any case, he identified as uh, himself as a man that was wanted and he was describing the murders as an act of revenge for prior miscarriage of justice. So for him having been in prison for the rapes that he commit, committed when he was a teenager. And so um, in the as described by the caller, he had been arrested in 1870. In, I mean, whoa. <laughs> he had been arrested in 1978 for a crime that, quote unquote, I didn't do specifically a rape, specifically a rape. And he said, I spent the next 14 years in prison where he claims to have been abused and tortured by fellow inmates. Um, to make matters worse, he says that his parents and his sister had died while he was in prison. And so in retaliation for these wrongs that he claims to have undergone, he explained that he would force a woman to go where he wants. And then he would go there. And um, so he says, I force a woman to go where I want. And when I go there, I tell them, do you know what? I was hurt, so I'm doing it now. Then I kill them. Um, so when asked how many victims he had killed, he actually claimed that they were 76, twice as many killings as the police had found thus far at the time that he was calling this newspaper. Um, so to verify his claim, he signed off with directions to the corpse of a lady that he claims he doesn't believe the police had discovered. And so with so many clues in hand, police finally, they soon focused their search on Moses Sithole. At that point, he was 31 years old. Um, like I said, he was a 31-year-old ex-convict and youth counselor. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. He was a 31-year-old convict, ex-convict and a youth counselor who had suddenly dropped out of sight. Um, he was known to use as many as six pseudonyms. Um, and so let's see. Um, a tip directed them to his hideout in Johannesburg slum of Benoni um, on October 18th. Um, so at this point, uh, it was when the, when the, and, and from reading this, I actually, I actually read that I think Sithole had reached out to a, a brother-in-law of his or something and the brother I, I guess he, I don't know why but he trusted the brother-in-law somehow and the brother-in-law tipped up the police and so when the police were coming to get him he had thought he, he had realized that he was in a trap um, and so he tried to come at the police officers with an axe um, when they approached him um, and even and while doing that, he actually wounded one of the police officers before he was shot and he was disarmed. Um, and so he survived his wounds and he was soon transferred to intensive care to in a military hospital. Um, and it was at that point, um, this is plot twist, plot twist, everyone. Um, and, and really probably the most beautiful karma. Um, but it was at that point that physicians diagnosed him as HIV positive. Um, and so 
in custody, this is crazy, in custody, he boasted of teaching his victims a very good lesson by killing them. Um, and so, you know, because of how many, and which, which I, I guess I can see, like, because of how many killings that they were and how short of a span it was, apparently the ex-officer, um, ex-FBI agent Robert Ressler's profile of the ABC kill, killer had suggested the possibility of two team killers working together. And the police had initially suspected that Sid Hole might be, um, an accomplice of apparently another, another killer, David Selepi. Um, who was linked to uh, a half dozen murders of women in Cleveland. But Sidho denied ever having meetings in Salapi and no evidence had been found to connect the two men. Um, Salapi had nothing to say on the subject. Um, he was shot dead in December of 1994, reportedly after attacking a police officer on a visit to one of his crime scenes. Um, I mean, and, and even when I'm thinking about it, even if this guy, Salapi, was part of it. I mean, there was still months after he was shot dead in December of 1994 that that Sitho would have continued to um, commit all of these crimes that he did. But uh, so so that's how he was captured. Um, a full year passed before he made his first court appearance on October 22nd, 1996, and he was formally charged with 38 murders. 40 rapes and six counts of robbery. Um, so let's see, this is where, so his trial began on November 14th, um, but it was postponed when, when Sitho arrived in court that morning and his pants were drenched in blood. He was rushed to a hospital treated for an open knee wound apparently sustained at Pretoria Central Prison. Well... I have no sympathy, um, but that happened. And so uh, let's see, talk a little bit about, so when he's, um, when his trial finally convened in February of 1997, an American voice expert identified Sitho as the caller who had boasted of his murders to the reporters at the Star. Um, he also, he had also confessed to his crimes in detail um, to other inmates, some of whom were curiously equipped with both tape recorders and video cameras. Wow. Capturing his boast for posterity. Um, the long-winded proceedings were delayed once again in August when Sitho started vomiting blood from a stomach ulcer. But there was no escaping justice, none whatsoever. He had to like I don't even understand how many. I mean, I I have no sympathy. Like open wounds, stomach ulcers, like STDs. It doesn't matter. Like this guy deserves anything that comes his way. Um, and so finally, on December fifth, um, nineteen ninety seven, he was sentenced to fifty years imprisonment for each of the thirty murders. I mean, each of the thirty eight murders. 12 years imprisonment for each of the 40 rapes and five years imprisonment for each of the six robberies. Since his sentences run consecutively, his total sentence is 2,410 years. Um, the judge ordered that Sito would be required to serve at least 930 years before being eligible for parole. He also told Sito that had there been um, 
capital punishment had capital punishment not been abolished, he would have been sentenced to death. So he was incarcerated in CMAX, and that's the maximum security section of Pretoria Central Prison, and is currently incarcerated in Manguang Manguang Correctional Center in Bloemfontein. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, but and yeah, that's the um story the murders committed by um, Moses Sitho and the capture and the trial and imprisonment. This is insane. And it's crazy because, um, you know, when you are listening to true crime podcasts or you're watching true crime shows, you're just listening to it from the perspective of like whoever is telling the story. But when you're the one doing the research to tell the story, guys, it's a whole different perspective. It's like a whole different immersion. Um, than I ever pictured. Like there literally is a is a picture of this guy that I see in um Murderpedia. Shout out to Murderpedia and Wikipedia. Um and he's I mean when he was captured he was 31. He was 31. Even now, now he's he's only you know 56. So he was very young. And when he was captured, like so I'm looking at it as a picture that he seemingly has his shirt off and it just looks so weird. Um, smiling awkwardly and um, someone like this I, I can't even imagine you know I can't even imagine like he just seems like the devil himself um, having committed all of these murders I'm I'm so glad that he was captured and as always um, whenever I talk about when I have this podcast my heart goes out to all of the victims and the families of the victims that have endured you know the the loss over these years um, there is a full list of the 38 victims um, well some of them are on it un- unidentified victims like they don't have the names but you know I don't want to go through all of the names but um, they are definitely the ones that we should be focusing on um, but nonetheless you know true crime true crime um, stories are always interesting for me they make you nervous they make you scared they make you look at everyone you know side eye them but it's interesting to hear and for those of you listening to me I'm sure it's interesting for you to hear as all as well so we're going to continue exploring true crime podcasts um, right now I'm really focused on the continent of Africa I feel like there is a lot a lot a lot of material there um, and I have never heard any podcast where they're focusing on the continent and I think it's a really cool perspective and um, and I hope that there are listeners who think so as well and who enjoy my perspective of it um, so in any case like I said earlier in today's episode I would love to hear your opinions I would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast so far um, anything that you have any feedback that you have for me I'm really open to hearing about it and um, for to to send me any any information any thoughts uh, please reach out email me on stories by t at protonmail.com so that's stories by t s T-O-R-I-E-S-B-Y-T at protonmail.com. Once again, the email is going to be in the show notes. Um, so uh, please check wherever you, li- you listen to your podcast. Wishing you guys a good rest of the day. Please stay safe and talk to you next time. Bye.